So Luke King, oh, I don't know, maybe a year or so ago, <laughs> told me about this movie that he was so pumped to see called Act of Valor. And uh, I don't know if you've seen the movie. It's about Navy SEALs. Uh, he pumped me up so much that when my dad came to visit one time, I'm like, hey, this movie's in theater. Let's go check it out. And it's a really cool movie. If you like war movies, it's pretty awesome. It's, it's kind of sad near the end, probably because it's so real and what it portrays. But um, it's a really neat movie. And I think one reason our culture and me can be fascinated with people like the Navy SEALs is because these guys are really good at what they do. Like, they're excellent. They're really capable at um, not just shooting a gun, but in executing a plan, in executing a mission. When I, the opening scene, like the opening mission that they have to accomplish, they have to rescue this hostage in the very beginning of the movie. It's, it's really fascinating, not only to see how they're excellent as individuals with what they're called to do, but what's really fascinating is how they work together. How they had to be in particular places at particular times because if so-and-so wasn't there, this other guy could get shot. And so-and-so was there to cover. And um, at one point in the opening scene, they throw up this like toy plane thing is hovering around and it's actually taking reconnaissance of where all the enemies at and, um, and they're communicating to each other. And that came to mind when I thought of my message today because that team would not have been able to accomplish its mission, would not have been able to do the things it did, any SEAL team, any team of any sort, unless they were all on the same page. And I feel like the Lord this morning wants to bring us on the same page on a particular topic. Not just you, I, I feel like the church in general, um, the Lord is really calling the, the whole church uh, to be on the same page. And it's not like we're not doing it, but I think the Lord is calling us to a deeper uh, a deeper excellence and a greater execution because God has in store in the future a move of God that is going to be so epic it will surpass anything that has ever happened in the past. The book of Acts was just the beginning, guys. And there's actually greater revivals recorded in history than even what you see in the book of Acts, even greater miracles. Uh, we just don't always hear about them uh, in the U.S., but it's true. And the Lord wants to do something greater in the future and we're involved with that. And so I, I'm bringing a chapter to this series David's been doing called Family on Mission. David's been talking about how we need to be a family, how we need to learn to love each other and grow together and just do all the things that a family does. I mean, a, a functional family. And it's great because Jesus is coming back for a bride. He's coming back for a bride who's uh, adorned in beauty. And scripture says his bride adorned in beauty is the good works of the saints. So Jesus is not coming back for a bride who's fighting with amongst herself, a bride who's bickering amongst herself, walking in unforgiveness, not loving each other. I mean, Jesus is like, I'm coming back for a bride, and um, I'm going to heal you up so that when I come back, you're all that loving, loving way. So family is really important. But I'm not going to so much talk about family this morning. I'm actually going to take the other part of that phrase, talk about family on mission. What is that mission? And I'm going to tell you specifically... The mission I feel like the Lord wants me to emphasize this morning is the fact that we're all called to evangelism. That we're all called to see the lost come to know Jesus. And uh, first of all, I want to go to Philippians 1.27, uh, which will be our bookmark, book, bookmark, no, bookend. Because I'm going to start and I'll end with this. We'll go other places. But uh, I'm not just talking about the fact that we need to do evangelism. I'm really talking about 
we need to be on the same page about what we believe about evangelism. Philippians 1.27 says, and this is Paul talking to a church. He says, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit and with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Okay, and the sentence keeps going in the next verse, but I want to take that phrase where he says, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And if you would study um, that chapter Um, The other chapters, the context of Philippians, he's really talking about living out the gospel, and not just in in love, but in in advancing the gospel itself. The gospel being the good news of Jesus, that Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. We were far, and God brought us near. And I'm going to just say this really um, directly. I used to not be, I was not always sure I really believed this. Um, But I'm just going to say, I believe it's the call of every single believer to evangelize somebody. I believe it's the call of every single believer to give what God has given you in the gospel. And um, and we're going to talk about two aspects of evangelism that I don't think the church is on the same page about. Before I go there, let me tell you the title of my message. The title of my message is called The Joy of Evangelism. And it has to do with one of the aspects of evangelism that nobody's on the same page. We're going to talk about why evangelism is fun. (laughs) I've heard too many messages about why we're all freaked out about it. I've heard too many messages about why it looks one way, one not way. But something we're not all on the same page is why evangelism is fun. Why evangelism brings exceptional joy to your life. And then... I'm also going to talk about why evangelism is necessary. Two things. Why evangelism is necessary and why evangelism is fun. Because I don't think the church as a whole is really on the same page about those two things. And I've been growing in my own knowledge of them. And so I want to start off with the why is evangelism necessary. And then we're going to end with the fun part. So you guys, in just like I am really pumped and excited. This is actually probably one of... Uh, the most exciting topics for me to talk about because it's really near and dear to my heart. It's pro- um, aside from talking about the Holy Spirit and, you know, Jesus and the cross, I mean, every, everything the Lord talks about is amazing. But um, talking about the, the moving of the Holy Spirit and talking about um, God's heart to reach lost people, just is, it resonates a chord in me that's really unique uh, because I believe it's God's heart for everyone. So, under the sub, okay, two points. Why is evangelism necessary? Why is evangelism fun? Under that first point, the sub point is evangelism is necessary because Jesus commands it. Now, I say that with the utmost joy because I feel like God, when God came to Adam and Eve and said, Hey, I command you, be fruitful and multiply. I command you, make love to your wife and have babies. I mean, like, Adam, oh God, what? God, you know, I'm not going to go into that, but all that to say is like God, God wasn't, you got to realize every command of God is really like that, but that was one of those, we don't even really like, who preaches on that? You know, no one preaches on that because we want to do that, okay, so, um, or it's like when God was talking to the children of Israel and said, hey, Take a Sabbath. God, why? Take a day off. God, your, bur- your commands are so burdensome. Take a day off. No, God, that would be me. God's really gentle and gracious. But 
God, God literally comes along and gives us commands so we build the health in our own life, so we build the health in the lives around us, and it actually increases the joy and the excitement. And that's why I titled this message The Joy of Evangelism, because when Jesus comes to you and says, I command you, he's commanded you to have the most fun you could ever have in your life. And I feel like when people come to me and give me all sorts of excuses, and I, believe me, I've been there, I have fear, I've had fear of rejection, I still work through stuff in my own life, but when people come to me and tell me, hey, uh, this is why I can't, you know, evangelize, I feel like they're telling me why they can't go to Disneyland, or why they can't, like, something dies on the inside of me. I'm like, no, you can. You can. Like, anyways, so part of the reason I need to talk about why Jesus commands it is because you need to know it's not just my idea. And that was part of the thing I was telling Dave was because the issue of reaching loss was so close to my heart, I, I wasn't always sure every person was called to it. I just knew I was. The Lord gripped me at a very young age about the fact that people don't know him. And I was like, and I was rocked. And not that I've always been great about sharing Jesus, but it rocked me. But I want to show you in scripture, and I have a lot of verses because I want to show you it's not just one verse. It's all over the Bible. Um, so... Some of these, you just might want to write down the references, um, especially if you're in OSL, uh, instead of turning to them, uh, and they'll be on the screen. To start off, we're going to go to Matthew 28, 18 through 20. I need to check my time. <laughs> and Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Evangelism is an aspect of discipleship. And discipleship is you giving what you've been given. I was trying to look up like definitions for evangelism, and some talked about it's, it's winning converts, it's, it's getting people to make a commitment well, if you look in this passage, it's basically evangelism means you, bring, you help a person come to the point where they now make a decision to obey God, to obey the teachings. But it's obeying the teachings that you were given. You're giving something the way that you were given. And um, it, is, it is a great joy. And let me, by the way, before I go any further, let me just mention that evangelism is not just in words, and it's not just in deeds. I feel like there's this really weird imbalance we get into sometimes. We talk about, you know, you just got to live the God, you know, uh, Francis Assisi says, uh, preach the gospel and use words if necessary, which is not totally a scriptural <laughs> phrase, because the Bible never makes that distinction. It just says both and. You're, the person who says, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just called to to be nice and, and, and act Christ-like around my friends, but I don't really need to say anything. That person's wrong. And the person who says, I'm... <laughs> and, and the person who says, I'm going to, like, blare my Christian music at work, and I'm going to, like, tell everyone I know God, and I'm going to talk about Jesus all the time, but, man, they're a pain to get along with, and they're a jerk, and, and <laughs> you know, and they talk about how much they hate their husbands or wife, or... That, they're wrong, too. Like, you can't... It's, it's not a separate thing. So when I talk about evangelism, I do mean in word and deed, and we're going to see that here in a second. But if you look at, again, we're all not turning there because I'm just going to go too quick. But Matthew 10, 8 says, he, Jesus is talking to his disciples in a particular time for a particular mission. But he says, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you've received, freely give. Yes, discipleship is the fact that you give something to Christians. 
because um, it's not, you know, it's an ongoing process. Jesus gave to those who believed in him. But every person who's a believer at some time was given something as an unbeliever that brought them to be a believer. You were all evangelized to if you're a Christian. I was evangelized to when I was seven years old. I don't remember the occasion at all, but I knew something happened because I'm walking with Jesus today. Um, God was good. I never really, I mean, I, I'd done screwy things, but I never even walked away. Like, something happened at seven years old that I cannot remember, but I see the fruit of. And I'm, I'm called to give away what I was freely given. So yes, I, again, we get this imbalance of like, is it a discipleship? Is it evangelism? It's both. Like, Freely give what you have been given. In First uh, Peter two nine, it says, "But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light." Proclaiming involves words. This verse is saying you were set apart so you can brag about God. You were set apart so that people would look at you and say, God is awesome. God is amazing. God is wonderful. And Paul said it this way. He's like, guys, I'm like a clay pot, but I've got gold in me. They get past the pot when they see the gold. Like, you don't have to worry about how weak or messed up you, whatever. Like, when they see Jesus in you, they're going to say, that's something I want. It involves words. First Peter three fifteen through sixteen says, "But sanctify the Lord God in your the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. So when they ask, you respond with words, but they're also going to see your life. And sometimes they ask, and sometimes you initiate." But it is about words and deeds. And Peter was writing this to everybody. He wasn't just writing this to a particular disciple. He was saying everybody in the church. Matthew five thirteen through 16. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket. But on a lampstand, it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. They're going to see the things you do and say, God's good. God is good. Yeah, but Kurt did a good thing. No, God is good because they know Kurt. (laughs) And Kurt doesn't always do a good thing, but that was God. 1 Peter 2, 11 through 12 says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Have your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. What's the day of visitation? It means when Jesus comes back in judgment, why are they going to glorify God? Because now they don't have to fear judgment because they saw that God was good through the way you lived and they made a decision to believe too. In the day of visitation, people are going to glorify I know God because there was a Christian at my work who loved Jesus. Loved Jesus enough that they showed love to me. Right there. Okay. Uh, Ephesians four eleven through 12. And he himself gave some to be apostles, 
some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Wait, evangelism is what the evangelist does. There's actually, I was looking up definitions and dictionaries, and evangelism actually said sometimes, the work of an evangelist. But do you know what the scripture is saying? The scripture is saying that if you're an evangelist, you're actually called not just to see people come to know Christ, you're called to equip the saints. Who's the saints? That's you guys. When an evangelist comes in here and says, and preaches an altar call, they're also showing you a means by which you can see the lost come to know Christ. And, the, and, the, and an evangelist has an office that's not for himself, but it's for other people to empower them. Same thing with a prophet, just a side note. Prophetic people just don't hear God. Now, yes, they have a great anointing to hear God. As an evangelist has a great anointing to see people get saved. But they have that anointing so that they can help those of us who need some help. Like, if we did like an altar call, who needs help? Just every, you know, everyone would raise their hands. Um, unless... Some of you have that calling. But I want you to see here that God is commanding it. But he's commanding you into one of the most joyous things in the world. Now, the fact that Jesus commands it is enough. Like, that makes it necessary. That, that's, and I could end there. But I didn't feel like the Lord wanted me in there. And actually, the stuff I've talked about next is also really cool. The other reason evangelism is necessary is because people are separated from God. And when you're separated from God, it's hell. And I'm not just talking about where you're going. I'm talking about living life now. You see, and I'm not saying every, everyone's life, like, is terrible all the time, but in the world there's poverty, and God wants to be the God who comes and brings abundance and blessing in their life. In the world there's dysfunctional relationships, dysfunctional families, and God wants to come along and be the God who heals their families, who heals their relationships, who shows them how to be in a good marriage, who shows them how to be good parents, who becomes that good husband, that good parent for them. There's people in the world who have sickness in their bodies and God wants to come and be their healer. There's people in the world who, it's, who um, live selfishly. I mean, we all have. Live selfishly and God wants to show you the joy of loving There's people in the world who are weak and God wants to come along and be their strength. There's people in the world who walk and day in and day out hurting because they know they have meaning and purpose and nothing they're doing helps them with the meaning and purpose that they're aching to have. And God wants to come along and say, this is your meaning. This is your purpose. It's it's such a joy. God um, wants to come along to those who feel unloved, feel alone, feel outcast, and wants to say, I'm your father. I put you in a family. I love you unconditionally. Every person has a need for unconditional love, and you will never find it outside of God. But when you find it in him, you realize it's enough. And then he actually helps other people give that to you as well. And then he helps you give that away. So when you were longing for love, God came and was like, swoop, da-da-da-da, I got love for you. And then he's like, let me put you in a family. Whoa, there's more love. And let me get you friends and more love, more love, more love. I mean, God is just awesome. But not only are you separated in this life from God, which is hell on earth with pleasures. There's pleasures in this world that a lot of times distract us from the crap we're going through. But I would be remiss to say that not only is there uh, separation in this life, there's separation in the next life. 
Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The gospel is necessary because sin brings death. Now, I just talked about death in relationships and bodies and all sorts of things, but it brings physical death. But, the, but Romans is actually talking about, Paul in that letter, it's talking about a spiritual death, that if you actually would eat, die a spiritual death, or die a physical death, having been spiritually dead, you will then be eternally dead. And God desires no one to be eternally dead. Hebrews 9.27 says, and, at his, and as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. That means that once death has happened, you are judged. You don't get a chance to go back and change your mind. You don't get a chance to, like, this life is really important. The time here is really important. And uh, we just, we can't ignore that. There's a whole big controversy, popular thing right now. It was on Time Magazine some months ago, and um, there's books out, like, whether hell's real or not. I mean, I just say, read, I mean, read the Bible. Revelation 21.8 says, But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part. In a lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Um, your body dying is, your, is the physical death. And uh, Lord, the scripture says hell was designed for the devil and his angels. Man was never meant to go there. But if they align themselves with the enemy, they will follow the enemy to his end. And um, it's real. It's real. It's in scripture. But the beautiful thing about it is, again, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. John 14, 6 says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Romans 10, 8 through 15 says, What does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. And here's the word, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth that the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. Forever who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they... And how, sh... how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. Bring glad tidings of good things. When I was around 10 years old... Um, I, uh, I was a missionary kid in the country of Panama, a small little country. Um, you can literally drive from the Pacific Ocean to the Atlantic Ocean in two hours. Uh, rainforest, tropical, humid as all get out. Um, but I loved it. I didn't know any better. <laughs> I had a great time. My parents told me it was an adventure, and I believed them. And um, we, were, we were down there, and 
a team comes from the States, a missions team comes from the States, and they, uh, Greg Niemeyer, if you know him, was actually leading that team. Greg Niemeyer comes and uh, brings his team of probably like teens and 20-somes. And my dad's the host missionary, so he's with the team, taking them places. And I'm the missionary kid, so I get to tag along and act like I know what's going on. And this is where I live, guys, and glad you could come visit and like all this stuff. And I had fun. Uh, But we went to this dock at one point. I think it was like a dock area. And uh, we get, we're on this bus, and we get out of the bus, and we were handing out tracts, and most of the team didn't speak Spanish. I actually not even fluent in Spanish myself, um, and I even knew less than I know a bit, though. And we're just passing out these tracts, and I'm going with them. And at some point, we have to get back on the bus. And I get back on the bus... I sit in my seat and I realize I still have a track left. I don't know why I didn't give it away or just maybe didn't find a person. And we're driving away and I see people through the, through the glass window who I could have given that to. I don't say that because I felt this guilt. Even to this day, I don't feel guilt and condemnation or shame because of it because that's not from Jesus. But what I sensed in, in, a, in a very real way at a young age is that it's very necessary Because I had something, and there was a barrier between me and those people. And I realized the Lord was calling me to cross that barrier. I've told this pure story to people, and they're like, did you jump off the bus? I'm like, no, I'm 10. I didn't, I don't know. No, I didn't, that didn't happen. But like, but I just really became convinced that it's necessary. Like, it is necessary. Like, Paul says here in Romans 10 that someone has to be sent. Someone actually has to say something. We see the word preach and we think preacher. No, see the word preach and just think words. Someone has to use words and say, this is who Jesus is. There's whole places around the world who have never even heard the name of Jesus. But the glorious thing is the Lord not only convinced me it was necessary, but as I chose to grow in this, and I've had a lot of mistakes, but as I chose to grow, the Lord came along and revealed to me that there is an immense amount of joy, an immense amount of fun in evangelism. Actually, I think, okay, what sustains you in ministry? Your relationship. Bar none. You have to love Jesus first, and then you'll be able to love people. But the other thing that I think helps sustain us in ministry is the fact that when we realize how much joy comes from it, that's why no one, if everyone's, Okay, most people are convinced that evangelism is necessary, but they don't think it's a lot of fun, which is one of the reasons they don't do it. And you might say, Kurt, this is really selfish to talk about the joy of evangelism. This is about other people, man. You've got you to lay it on the line for other people. Okay, let's look at Hebrews 12.2. Look at uh, what's called the author and perfecter of our faith, the one we should model. Hebrews 12.2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy... That was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And we make the point that the joy being explained here is the joy of actually receiving us. That was his joy, but it was still joy. Like, joy is such a critical commodity in heaven that Jesus was willing to give his life to receive it. God wants you to have joy, it's one of the fruits of the Spirit love, joy, joy. Um, Psalm 16, the last part, David says there's fullness of joy in your presence. Like, 
I could go, I could preach a whole message on joy. It's a great thing because I think we need to wake up that, like, the, actually the more holy you get, the happier you get. And the more holy and happy you get, the more you're fun to be around. Like, and Kurt Schnabel needs to hear that because Kurt can be really serious sometimes. But when he gets with Jesus, he gets really goofy and it's really awesome. But I need you to see that God has called us to something that's going to bring us great joy. Um, John 15, uh, 10 through 11, Jesus talks about the fact that if you would obey his words, you will have his joy and your joy would be complete. He gives you commands so that you would have exceeding joy in your life. Kurt, it's not always fun. Jesus endured the cross. Yes, I understand that. But let me tell you, it's a lot more fun than you think it is. It's a lot more joy than you think it is. I'm actually really excited to tell you how much fun it is. So here we go. In uh, Micah 7, 18, this is a powerful verse. Micah says, by the word of the Lord, who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights. He delights in mercy. There's another translation that says he delights in showing mercy which is an eye-opening thing because when someone wrongs me, I have no delight in showing, you know, not all the time when I'm like Jesus, yeah. But like, God delights in showing mercy. And when you speak, when you love, you are extending the mercy of God through you. And the Holy Spirit inside of you is jumping up and down, is going, And that's actually one of your callings, by the way, is that you would actually tap into more of the emotions of God. It's one reason, like, when you sin, you don't really feel good about it because the Holy Spirit in you is grieving. And when you actually do the right thing, you're like, man, I feel good. I'm not, everything's not about emotions, but again, Jesus said joy. Part of the reason you have joy is because God is having joy in that moment. God is excited. Because when God sees a hurting person, God wants to show love through them, love to them, and he wants to show it through you. And so when you actually show love, that's his love, he's like, ooh, God's like pumped. And there's moments, and as the Lord would help you get free of fear, which he's helped me in immense ways. Oh, man, I was a really shy kid. Didn't like talking to people. I mean, I like talking to people, just not people I knew, and all this didn't know, whatever. And so... um, but man, as the Lord would take fear away, that, that allowed me to actually feel even more and more of that joy. There, uh, in Luke 15, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost son. What, how do all those stories end? They end with a party. What is the goal of our life? A party. <laughs> like, I'm serious, guys. We get saved into a party so that we can have, basically, a Holy Spirit party the rest of our lives. That's why the fruit of the Spirit's joy, okay? And... And, that, and, and, you know, some, there's times when I'm sharing and the person doesn't come to know Jesus right away. And there's a sadness there, but there's the joy of the fact that, you know what? Even if you're not ready, God still loves you. And the Holy Spirit's going, woo! And when that person actually says, hey, I think I want to make Jesus my Lord and Savior. Then, every, you know, we go really like, wow, yeah! And it is such a cool thing. You part, part of it is also you're understanding God's love for you more because you're understanding God's love for them and then you see in them the fact that, man, you're just a lot like me and I didn't realize. And it's, it's just an astounding thing. So first of all, one of the reasons is you're tapping into the joy of the Lord, his joy. 
Another reason is in uh, Acts 20.35, Paul quotes Jesus. This is a really cliche phrase to a lot of people, but it is very literal, very profound, where, Paul say, where Jesus says, it's more blessed to give than to receive. You actually get a blessing. Now, I'm sure there's unseen blessing that I don't even know about, because God's good like that. I mean, God blows my mind away. You do one right thing, and you get like five rewards. Three of them you might not see in this lifetime. One you might see later, and one you might see now. Like, I, I do what the Lord says, and man, he hooks me up. And when you give to other people what you have received, the Bible actually says it is more blessed to give. That's, and that's actually an incredible statement if you think about evangelism, that you are actually getting more blessed than the person who's getting saved. <laughs> and salvation is pretty good, let me tell you. When I come to know Jesus, it's pretty awesome. But to give that away is more blessed than to actually receive that? What does that look like? I mean, part, part of that looks like is I, I, get to, I get to see someone get healed. I get to see someone who's broken. I, I mean, part of the reason it's more blessed, I love, I love finding a person who has every reason to think I should be offended at them and showing them grace. I love messing with people's mind in a loving way. There's a part of Kurt that probably not, anyways, but like, I love messing with people's mind. Um, you know, you're hanging out with this person, like, wait, you're a Christian? Yeah. You're a pastor? Yeah. And if they really went through the whole list, they would, wait, you preach, you speak in tongues, you, you go out and talk to people, like, you know, all the things that people would think make me weird and make me think I should have anything to do with you. And like, but you accept me. I'm like, yeah, I love you. God loves you. And, I mean, it's one of the, it's one of the most things, fun things to do, for example, when you're on a treasure hunt and you're praying for someone. And some of us have in our mind that God doesn't want to heal a person unless they get saved. And I love being coming to a person and saying, hey, God wants to heal you. And you can choose to follow him later if you want. You can do it now. But he'll give you a free gift of healing whether you make a commitment to him or not. And Jesus actually healed people in the Bible he extended mercy to their physical bodies even when they were not followers of him. And some, I think, ultimately walked away from him. Notes. Another reason it is a whole bunch of joy is that it's a great adventure. It's a great adventure. We're all made for adventure. This is why we love action movies. This is why little kids like playing with superhero toys like why people read comic books, why, you know, why we would love watching Indiana Jones, because you were made for adventure. You were made for excitement. And there's really no greater adventure than trusting God in the thing that he's called you to do. And this is especially fun because this is especially freaky sometimes. But to see God come through when you didn't think you could, to see God come through when you didn't think there was opportunity, to see God move when you didn't think it was possible is awesome. It's really fun. Another reason is uh, it brings a lot of joy. It says in John four thirty five that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. That the, well, let me just read this. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. What does white for harvest mean? It means they're ready. One of the joys of evangelism is actually finding out how ready people are to come to know Jesus. And just be loved on. I did adopt the block this last week with Sam and uh, Rachel. 
And I was amazed. We're going up to people's doors. We're knocking on them. And we're saying, hey, we're from your community. We're a church. Uh, we're your neighbors. We're kind of down the street. And we just want to let you guys know that we want to get to know you. And if you need help with anything, we brought free light bulbs. Would you like a light bulb? You know, got a light out. And uh, that was it. Like, if the person was done, we were done. But they started asking us, well, what church do you go to? What do you do at this church? Like, you know, and they start asking us questions. And you realize that people are a lot more open. I'm not saying everyone's going to drop to their knees and say, how must I be saved? And like, whoa, it's happening right now. But people are so open to be loved on. I'm not going to say people are always easy to love. Jesus said, I endure the cross. <laughs> he said, for the joy set before me endured the cross. I'm not going to say it's always easy. But I'm telling you, it's a lot easier. Like, if you think it is just the worst thing to do in the world, you'll never want to do it. So to think it's like always easy is wrong, but to think that it's like exceptionally hard all the time, it's like when I pray for someone to get healed. It's exceptionally impossible for me to heal them. It's easy for him. That's what I'm walking into. It's his easiness. So there is a lot of, there's a lot of joy in evangelism. There's a lot of joy in just giving Jesus away. What does this look like? Let me just throw some ideas out for you guys. Um, and then I'm going to tell you a story, and then I should be good with time. Jesus, uh, not Jesus, okay. When I'm talking to people, um, I, you know, I look for opportunities to do all sorts of these things, and I'm just throwing stuff out there. This really isn't a great how-to message, but let me just throw, give you some takeaways. One, I look for opportunities to invite people not only to church things, but to things where church people are at. I actually believe family is one of the most effective ways to reach somebody. Because now they don't only have relationship with me and like, oh, Kurt, I thought you were nice, but man, that guy is really nice. And like, you know, and they realize that it's not just you, but there's something in you that's in all of these people and that common denominator must be God because I thought it was just your personality at first. And so I'm, I'm like, I'm really open. You know, the people I know, I've invited people to functions where we're just, me and my friends are hanging out. This person who's been very open to church or God or just even hanging out with me. I'm like, hey, you want to go hang out with it? We're going to play games this night or do whatever. I mean, I look for opportunities to bring them where they're going to hear a gospel message and where they're going to just see the gospel lived out in someone's life. And sometimes I'll actually do that part first. Um, Mark uh, Wahlberg is the guy's name, wrote Contagious Christian. He talks about, you know, before he invites people to church, he realized he sh- needed to start inviting them to barbecues at his house. Like, let's, let's sh- and it's not with an agenda, it's just saying, hey, I, I want to show you love. And, um, I mean, I've been invited to places that if they really knew what I believed, they would have totally, like, ripped me off. And I, not that I hid things, but I wanted to show them love first. I wanted to show them I accepted them no matter what. Um, you invite them places, you look for opportunities to share your faith. Um, there are, you sh- should pray, Lord, help me find opportunities where I initiate the conversation. But also, God, give me wisdom. And if I don't know how to answer the question, I'll just tell them, this is why I believe what I believe. This is why God's good to me. And honestly, your testimony is a lot more powerful sometimes than a pat answer you might have. Um, I go out of my way to love people. So go, you know, I go out of my way. I'm working on it. Going out of my way to love people. When you actually care about someone who you should have no reason to care about, they take notice of that. And they, they're a lot more open to hear things. Here's a really big one. Make sure you're asking God for ideas and opportunities and help. I mean, I've prayed 
I mean, I work at a library. I pray multiple times. Lord, reach these people. Give me opportunities. And he's given me great opportunities. I found crazy things. Like, I, I, I pray, God, let your presence be felt in our library, which I think is kind of an interesting prayer. But I, I discovered one day in a, in a corner, these ladies were talking, and that happens all the time. But I realized they were having a Bible study. And it was like the Lord was telling me one day, see, you even prayed them into here. And I was like, now they haven't come back. It was a kind of one-time thing, but you don't know what you do. Like your prayers saturate the atmosphere of a place. And you prep like, when God tells the children of Israel, I will go before you, you can totally be like, God, soften them up. And so when I'm there, they're just going to like, I want Jesus. I want to be loved on, like whatever. Prayer needs to be a really important aspect. And prayer is actually one of the things that has really um, quickened my heart for the for, for the loss, because when you start praying the will of God for people who don't know Jesus, it can't help but break your heart, um, but in a good way, and then you get excited because you believe you have hope for that. Um, again, falling more in love with Jesus will help you give his love away. Let me end with a story. Some of you guys have heard of this guy, although um, maybe not. This is a guy named Brian Headwelch. He's a lead, was a lead guitar player for a guy, for a band that was kind of popular when I was in school, high school, and still kind of popular, to be honest. They're a really heavy metal band. And he, and he was in this cycle of just pleasure. They had gotten really big. He, he basically got everything he ever wanted. He got fame. He had, quote-unquote, friends. He had all the drugs he wanted. He could party anytime he wanted. He had all the sex he wanted. He, he had everything. And he wasn't fulfilled. His, his, his daughter's mother got really like hooked onto meth and she eventually like abandoned her. I don't know if she died or something, but he, he talks about she just totally left her daughter and he was so mad at her. He was like outraged. But he was getting really scared because he could see as he was taking methamphetamines that he was just like getting weaker and weaker in his own body, and it was like killing him. And he, he was at this desperate place, of like, I don't know what to do, because nothing is helping me, and all I do is keep doing the thing that takes me down this rabbit hole of darkness, deeper and deeper and deeper. And one day, his real estate agent says, hey, Brian, I don't usually do this, but I felt God wanted me to give a verse to you. I don't think the guy even preached to him. I don't think he shared the gospel, the four spiritual laws. I don't think any of that happened in that moment. He just said, I feel like the Lord wanted me to give you a verse. Come, all of you, um, who, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Which is kind of a chopped up version of different translations there. But Brian heard that, took that home, and he's like, I, I looked up every single word in the dictionary. And he just poured over it, poured over it. And he's like, I'm, I'm heavy laden. I'm, I'm burdened. I need rest. And it was this beginning point in his life that led him to a point where he, and I think it was through his real estate agent that he eventually started going to the guy's church. It might have been a different believer. But he eventually later gets saved and radically saved. Like, dumps all his drugs one night, no withdrawal. Like, he, he thinks he's going to be dead. And he totally gets free of all his drugs. He, he's now a very outspoken Christian. Um, and, uh, I mean... I've had youth that have gone to conferences where he speaks. And these, are the, these particular conferences are called the whosoevers. And they're geared towards um, kids that are really hard, really, uh, really just, you know, 
the guys who you would not think are ready. And he's just up there and saying, guys, everything you're going for right now, I got and more, and only God satisfied me. I mean, and he says it in his way. He shares his testimony. But the reason I share that is because it came through just an ordinary, quote unquote, an ordinary guy in his life. It didn't come from a preacher. He wasn't in church. It was just a believer who said, God, I'm open. Whenever you want to use me, you can use me. Yeah, if God gives you a prophetic word, give it. And if God tells you, hey, just wash that dude's car, do it. Or if you just get, you know, sometimes you don't need that word of the Lord. You just need compassion to pull in your heart. But I want you to see that the Lord has not only called all of us, but he's also equipped all of us, which is almost a whole other message. But let me just say that when Jesus commands you to do something, he's given you the grace to do it. Is evangelism easy? It can be. But it's fun. And I just want to position my life more and more. If you would look at me, I could tell you stories about where I shared the gospel. I could tell you stories where I ran away and didn't do anything about it. Um, but I, I, I'm on this journey that I would just be so radical by the time I'm like 95 years old that you, like, you can't help but poke me and get saved because I've just pursued this thing the whole, my whole life. I'm growing, guys. But I want to, I, I, this is one of my, I believe this is what every believer is called to do. 